One of the cherished and admired attributes of God we should ever continue to grow and abound is in the love of God. You know, we must remember that this attribute of God was the cause for us to draw near in salvation. You know, the Bible clearly says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, And hope make it not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You know, our Savior came to reveal the love of God when he was here 2,000 years ago. And as he died on the cross, and as you uh, know the fact that he was born in Bethlehem, and as he did ministry for three and a half years, and he lived for 33 and a half years. And we know as we see his life, it displays and also portrays the love of God. And he wants to reach out to us by his love. And I think about his visit portrays the love of God. First of all, verse John chapter 4, verse 9, it says, And this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. I think about Titus 3, 4, but after that, the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appear. And you see, uh, the great attribute of God had to display himself. And uh, he said, the only way I could do that for mankind is to see Christ himself, my son, my only begotten son, and he has to come in the flesh, and I will let them know how much I love them. And that was the way that God has divinely revealed his love to us is through the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And his business portrays the love of God. I think about even his ministry portrays the love of God. There's an incident in the Gospel of Luke where Christ makes it very clear to the disciples what reason he came to earth. The Bible says in Luke 9, I quote for you, verse 52, and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, their brothers, you see, and they teamed up together, and they asked, they told the Lord Jesus Christ this, and they said, Lord, would thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? And then what happened was that Jesus Christ was going town to town, and then he was heading to Jerusalem. He was uh, 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 confronted with some villages or maybe some towns of the Samaritans, and, and people were sent down to make ready for him. And as he was going, and James and John realized that one town in Samaritan and uh, in Samaria, uh, they, 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 were, they would not receive the Lord Jesus Christ because they were going to go down to Jerusalem. And, and James and John got a little bit heated up, and they came to Jesus, and they said, Oh, would you, would you like us to do what Elijah did? Would you have us to pray the fire of God down and consume them? And what did Jesus Christ say? He says in verse 55, and, But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went into another village. And what was God portraying in that event, in that uh, situation? It was portraying not the judgment of God, not the, uh, the wrath of God, but he was portraying the love of God. That was part of his ministry. And by the way, thank God, that, that wonderful region of Samaria, as Jesus Christ had to leave that town and not being received, but in the book of Acts, the Bible says that Philip went there and there was a great revival and a lot of people got saved. You see, God was giving them grace. God was giving, portraying love to them. 
and Samaria got the gospel of the second chance as they were rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see in the book of Acts, they received the Lord Jesus Christ when the time came. And thank God for his grace and thank God for his love. You see, as he portrayed that love, he was constraining them to come and consider the Savior who died on the cross. I think about another incident in the Gospel of John where Christ makes his ministry clear to the Pharisees. And go to your Bibles to John chapter 8, please. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. In verse 7, look what it says in John chapter 8. And uh, here's an incident where the Pharisees uh, caught a woman in adultery and then brings him to Jesus. And then, and then we see in the middle of this event in verse 7, when they had continued asking him, what should we do in the sense of, should we judge her and should we stone her? The Bible says here, he lifted up himself in verse 7 and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stood down and wrote on the ground and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out by one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those down accusers? Had no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You know, these people did not understand how to lead sinners to the Lord. These Pharisees, these lawyers did not understand how to lead sinners to the Lord. All they knew was to judge, and all they knew is to bring wrath and condemnation. But when Christ came, he gave a different portrayal of the, uh, of, of the great, wonderful attribute of God. And that great attribute of God was the love of God. And he said, hey, I will not condemn you. I want to make sure that you are restored. I want to make sure your sins are forgiven. I want to make sure that you do not sin anymore in this way of adultery. You see, Christ's ministry was about the love of God. And Christ makes them known how they missed the mark too. those people, the lawyers and Pharisees. I think about Luke chapter 11, verse 42. Belong to you, Pharisees, for he tied, mint, and rue, and all manner of herbs. And you do all these works, and you display yourself in, in a uh, fabulous way in the society. And then the Bible says here, uh, you have done those things, and it says, and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought you have to have done and not to leave the other undone. As they were giving sacrifices and offerings and all these different laws and traditions of men they have brought upon themselves and they were making a list and saying, look what we have done and sharing with the society. And they were trying to glorify themselves uh, with other people around them. But we see that they missed a great mark of judgment, especially in the love of God. And that's why the Bible says Christ asked in a rhetorical question, is that can the blind lead the blind? See, these people were blind themselves. They did not see the love of God. They did not see the, uh, the great presence of God in their lives. And they could not lead others to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ or even God himself. I'm just simply saying today, uh, Jesus Christ's ministry portrays the love of God. 
And that's why Christ was so distinctly different in those days. Society was all about keeping a list of words and condemning others who didn't. But when Christ came, it wasn't about a list of words and condemning others, but it was about his love and how he can forgive them. And the law does not save us and does not save us. I hope you understand that. No people are saved by the law. The Bible says very clearly in Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified, meaning declared righteous, meaning uh, innocent. And the Bible says, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You see, the law brings us to the saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The law says... You're not perfect. The law says, hey, you have come short. The law says, hey, you are a sinner. Now, as a sinner, you must seek a ruler? No. You must seek a a, a king? No. You must seek a teacher? No. Would you you need to uh, seek a judge? Would you need to seek uh, maybe a, a, a master? No. But the Bible is very clear. A sinner seeks a savior. The sinner seeks a savior. And that's why Christ came down as a Savior who loves. The knowledge of sin is produced by the law, and deeds of the law do not save us. And, uh, and I believe all my heart sinners in these days, what they need is not a list of things that they could do or what they can do. They need a wonderful love of Christ displayed in their life and knowing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that they need love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. And our Savior dies so sinners may may perceive the love of God. I think about 1 John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. You know, when we try to lead someone to Christ, when we try to let someone know about the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't point to a list of things they need to do. We point to the cross, the love of Christ, God's people say. Isn't that a wonderful thing that we could point to the cross? We don't have to point uh, to our list and say, hey, look what I have done, and this is how you get to heaven. Thank God that's not enough. Thank God that's not even in the sense of close enough, and that in the sense as, as a sinner we come short of the glory of God, and that we could point to the Savior, and that at the foot of the Savior is even, and that everyone could go to the Savior and be saved, and because of his love that draws every man to him. I think about the fact that we need to consider the attribute of love this morning and how we need to make sure it is not forgotten, it is not dismissed, it's not ignored, and how the world desperately needs this love more than anything else and in this world. And we need to remind ourselves as Christians today that his love continually revives us and refreshes us and that it strengthens us and that it restores us and also it brings us closer to him. I think about my daughter. I have a daughter. She's three years old, going on four in September. And, and uh, I got to say she's very cute these days. I got to say she, say, she says a lot of things that surprise me. And, and uh, you know, uh, I think I remember last year, I, I think I shared in Sunday school before, and uh, there's, there are many times where, you know, your kids get whiny. And uh, it gets on your nerves sometimes, you know. And then you feel like, why is she whiny? Why is she always complaining? And then... Uh, these days, uh, I feel like, you know, uh, she's less complaining. She's not really uh, uh, whining as much. And that uh, we see more of the relationship building as we communicate with each other, we understand each other, and it's great. But I remember last year, a little bit in frustration, and she was whining a lot. And that her whining is always like this. It's more like a, 
uh, uh, like a noise, and uh, I could hear it from far away and catch that noise and realize that that is Annabelle. And then it's, like, it's kind of like this. Let me just uh, share it with you. It's more like, and I hear that from across the room, even at the church, and I'd be like, that's Annabelle. What's wrong? What's the problem? And I kind of run to her and then and ask her what the problem is. I remember working in the office and I heard, mm. I was like, oh man, I gotta leave work and try to find out what's wrong. And then it was a little sound of, mm. and then later on it became louder and louder and louder, and I realized it was the ambulance. But, anyways, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's amazing how kids haunt you. <laughs> And then you're, you know, the sermon gets all distorted, you know. And uh, but I remember last week, oh, she's so sweet. And uh, uh, my wife, it was laundry day, so she dropped me off. She got everything packed up in the car. And, and uh, we, uh, she dropped me off at the church here. And, and uh, as I was leaving, my wife uh, says something very encouraging of what she said. And, and she was sitting in the baby seat there. And uh, uh, my wife said, honey, guess what Annabelle said? And I said, what'd she say? And well, she said this. And this is what she said. Oh, um, uh, let me just, oh, it's just overwhelming. It's so surprising how she said it. And I love the fact that she said it. And uh, she said, we love daddy because he loves us so much. And I fainted at the parking lot. (laughs) And I said, wow. That's a wonderful truth from the Bible, too. <laughs> we love him because he first loved us. And, uh, you know, that really encouraged my heart. And uh, also, she realized that she could love me back because why? We, I love her. And that's, a, that's the same thing with the Christian life. And I'm just simply saying we got to remind ourselves of the love of Christ more. And if you want to be encouraged, if you want to be strengthened, if you want to move on forward in your journey of Christ, hey, consider the love of God, how much he loves you. And if you have somewhat drawn, uh, drawn a little bit cold in the love of God, and you know the first greatest, two greatest commandments, you know the second greatest commandment is that we love our neighbor. The first is to, lo- to love our God. And if you have drawn cold in that area, guess what you need to do? You've got to consider how much God loves you. And then if you consider how much God loves you, you love God even more. And I believe you'll do more things. And I believe that you'll have more obedience. If you love me, keep my what? Commandments. You see that love has to be there first? That relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to just share with you the key reminders of this love that is distinctly special to the world and also to us. And let me share with you three key reminders of this love that ever so encouraging and refreshing. So first of all, first of all, let us recognize that his love is ever found. That his love is ever found. Romans chapter 8, verse 39. The Bible says, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We should be thanking God this morning that his love does not just come and go, but it is always there. One of the delightful truths that I like to make my conscience is the fact that there was never a time, that there was never a time when God did not love me. I mean, think about that for a moment. There has never been a time where God sees his love to you. 
When I had hatred in my heart, you know, God still loved me. When I was double-minded, God still loved me. When I was bitter in my heart, God still loved me. When I had misunderstanding concerning what he can do and who he is, hey, God still loved me. And, and when I was lonely and when I was insecure, God still loved me. I mean, isn't it wonderful and powerful to know that God Almighty has never had a moment in his divine attribute of his love in the sense of ceasing to love his wonderful children. Who shall separate us from the love of God, the Bible says. And by the way, you know, his love is not based on who we are and what we have done. His love is based on him and him alone. The immutability of his love, the never-changing God. There's nothing that we have done or we will do in the future that would give us the different degrees of the love of God. No, his degree never changes. His amount never changes. His love never changes. I think about what Mr. Richard, uh, Richard Haverson said and, and the great, wonderful code. I'm not sure if I agree with every of his doctrine or beliefs, but it's a great code that he said. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. His love is unconditional, impartial, everlasting, infinite, what a wonderful love that is, isn't it? There's nothing that you and I can do to have God to love us more. There's nothing that you and I can do to make God love us less. And that is so true, and his degree of love does not change. His high standard of love is already said, for God so loved the world. That never changes. His degree of love never changes. Oh, you feel like, oh, sometimes, oh, man, does God really love me? Does God really care for me? You don't have to question that. It's already said. He loves you. He so loves you. With a divine and supreme love, his high divine degree of love cannot be altered by what we have done and what we will do because God never changes. He says, I am the Lord thy God. I change not. Jesus Christ came yesterday, today, and for how long? Forever. His immutability has uh, never been changed or will ever be altered. And I'm just simply saying to you today that his love is permanent for us. I heard about a lady who wrote a letter to her ex-fiance because she wanted to go back, get back together. That's always good. For someone to break off an engagement, that's really heartbreaking. But this lady wanted this guy back. And, and this illustration, his name is Jeremy. By the way, it was Jimmy first, but I changed to Jeremy for you. Don't like that. <laughs> and uh, it says, no words could I ever express, this lady says. And this, she, she wrote a letter to Jeremy. No words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take you place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. And congratulations on winning the state lottery. I mean, isn't her love just come and go <laughs> based on the fact that he won the state lottery and maybe he was one of the ones that, you know, that made that $200 million this past week. I'm not sure. And don't you thank God that our God, his love is not that way for us. It doesn't just come and go. It's always there. And it does not change over time. His love is 
always found the same every time we look for it. His love can always be found wherever you are, however you are, and whenever. And I just want to encourage you this morning, bathe your conscience in the love of Christ, of the fact that his love never changes and that it never leaves. It never leaves. It's always to be found. So with that in mind, not only his love is ever found, but also his love is never fatigued. His love is never fatigued. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, let's go there. If you go to Romans chapter 8, let's, let's turn to a verse here this morning. Romans 8, 35. I quoted one verse out of there just a moment ago, but I'd like to share a passage now in Romans chapter 8. Look what it says in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sore? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 1 Corinthians 13, I quote for you in verse 8, charity never but whether they be prophecies, whether they shall fail, whether they be tongues, they shall see, whether they be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And the writer is saying, hey, the great emphasis and the great gift that you could all have is charity, because charity never faileth. And he's not talking about any humane love, but he's talking about the divine love of God. And that his love never gets weak or fatigued. You know, we serve a powerful God, not just powerful, but all-powerful. And his omnipotence also covers the attribute of his love. His love never fails, nor does it get fatigued. He never changes, and his love never drains, nor does it ever cease to give. And his all-powerful love, he also gives us strength, power, and endurance in our lifetime. And if you're somewhat fatigued and weak and discouraged today, hey, find yourself in the love of Christ. And his, Christ will, and his love will strengthen you. His love will encourage you. And I guarantee you, his love never fails. I heard about a, another humorous story that helps us understand God's power of love. And I'm sure you know when you're dating, you, don't, uh, you get somewhat desensitized about different things or maybe you don't get provoked as much. I think about a young man said to his father at breakfast one morning, Dad, I'm going to get married. And the father asked and replied, How do you know you're going to get married? Are you in love? And the son confidently said, I sure am. And, and the father replied once again, How do you know you're in love? And with an excitement, he replied, Last night as I was kissing my girlfriend goodnight, her dog bit me and I didn't even feel the pain. I'm getting married. I'm in love. And this is somewhat of a humorous uh, illustration, but, you know, I think our God's love is that way. His love gives us strength where there are, even though there are pains around us. You know, we don't live a perfect life, you see. There are a lot of disappointments. There are a lot of discouragement, a lot of distress, and a lot of things that might cast us down. And we might have some pains and hurts around us. You probably could even point to them right now in your conscience and think, 
hey, why did that happen? Why does this have to happen? And then, and you could get all discouraged about it. But when you find yourself in the love of Christ, those pains disappear, and you realize how much God loves you, and you realize how God is so sovereign, and you realize how much God cares for you, and you realize how God could provide you, provide for you by his love, and you realize that you could go on, and that all those pains could be somewhat diminished in the sense by finding yourself in the strength of the love of God. And I think about the Bible says we are more than conquerors through him that love us. Because he loves us, the Bible says we are more than conquerors through him. You know, why are some Christians sold out more than others? And why are some Christians more fervent and fire up than others? Why are some Christians give and sacrifice more than others? Why are some Christians always abounding in the work and the way of the Lord more than others? Though they might have tribulations, though they might have destitutions, or maybe loneliness, or hatred, or betrayal, or maybe suffering illness of health, and, and maybe rejections, and looked down upon. Why are they keep going? Why are they all fervent and fired up for the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of the surrounding, but because of what they have in here. And what they have in here is a love of God that strengthens him. And they say, I am more conquerors through him that love us. I just want to encourage you. Find yourself in the love of God. You go on. You can wake up tomorrow morning. You can face another week at work. You could go another year in 2012. Find yourself in the love of God. The love of Christ wants to constrain you. I think about 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 13. For whether we beside ourselves, whether we're crazy or, you know, out of our minds, it says, it is to God. Whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one die for all, this is what drives us. If one die for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that which we live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. What's the writer saying? Hey, the cross compels me. Hey, the cross constrained me. The love of God constrained me to go on and serve him. Hey, they could call ourselves in the sense of being crazy and being a fanatic, and we could be beside ourselves, but it's okay. It is to God. It is God Almighty that's constraining me and pushing me along and driving me along in this journey. Find yourself in the love of God, my friend. Don't say you can. And of course you can. Your flesh cannot, but the Holy Spirit can. And the Holy Spirit of God, he produces a wonderful fruit we see in Galatians chapter 5. And the first one is what? Love. You've got to find yourself in the love of God first. His love never fails you, nor will it ever grow fatigued. And by that, he strengthens you and I. And by the way, he does not disappoint. Others might not, but not God. He never disappoints with his love. You could bank on that, my friend. As you approach the love of Christ in your conscience, in your heart, and in your mind, I guarantee his love will never disappoint you. And I just want to encourage you today that his love never gets fatigued. It never grows faint. It never gets weak. It always strong and omnipotent, and he wants to help us with that love. His love is ever to be found. His love is never fatigued. And number three, I'm done. 
His love is to be followed. His love is to be followed. 1 John 4.11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. 1 John 4, 8, he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. And there's something that is hard for all of us. To love when people are not lovable or likable. How many of you encounter that? Encounter that? Raise your hand. All right? People are not lovable. They're not likable. But the Bible says that we need to love. And did you know that when we got saved and as sinners, we weren't really likable? We weren't really lovable? And all the things that we have done against God, it wasn't very pretty. But God was willing to love us. And, but God was willing to forgive us. And as the days become more wicked and sinful in these last days, the Bible does warn us in Matthew chapter 24, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax I understand it's referring to the nation of Israel in the context, but the application can be drawn. When there are sins, my friend, the love does get cold. I think that's what happens to us when there are sins that we are distracted to in our lives and we are so self-centered and self-pleasing and, and self-desired in our lives that we limit ourselves in loving others. Why? Because it's all about you. And it's all about me. We love our sins more than people. We must make sure we love people more than anything else. The love of Christ draws people to the church of God. And we must make sure that we do keep the second greatest commandment as we have the first greatest commandment is to love our neighbor. And there's no better way to love our neighbor than for us to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and especially portraying the love of Christ to them. I like what D.O. Moody illustrated concerning this topic, and he writes, Show me a church where there is love, and I will show you a church that is power in the community. In Chicago a few years ago, a little boy attended a Sunday school I know of. When his parents moved to another part of the city, the little fellow still attended the same Sunday school. Although it meant a long, tiresome walk each way, a friend asked him why he went so far and told him that there were plenty of other uh, just uh, as good near in his home concerning the church. And this was his reply. They may be good for others, but not for me. And she asked, why not? And replied back, because they love a fellow over there. And he was willing to walk that extra mile and that distance, even though there are some other churches nearby him. He was willing to go to that same church that he used to go to. Why? Because he knew that he'll, love, he'll be loved. And he continues to say, if only we could make the world believe that we love them, there would be fewer empty churches and a smaller proportion of our population would never darken a church door. Let love replace duty in our church relations and the world will soon be evangelized. I like that statement. Let love replace duty in our church relations. You know, I think we do a lot of duties. We do a lot of things. You might keep a list of things that you do, even as Christians. And by the way, I believe all my heart that if you want to draw someone to the Lord Jesus Christ closer in the Christian life, you want to influence them the right way, you don't draw them with the law and the list of things to do. You draw them with the love of Christ. 
They might stumble and fall, but you give them a second or third or fourth chance, and they realize, hey, God is gracious. I can still abound in this journey, and I could go on. Hey, I'm not perfect. I know I have some areas I need to work on, but that grace is there, and that church is displaying that grace. That love is there. I could go to that service without feeling guilty. I could go to that service knowing that I will grow there and not be judged and be condemned. I realize I could go to that church and really draw near to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you think we need that kind of church today, God's people today? Oh, people are so insensitive in the sense of judging somebody. They didn't do this, they didn't do that. They didn't that. And that they just say, oh, you know what? If they're they going to do it right, forget it. And then why don't we just kind of move on here? Let's get somebody else. But did you know in the Bible how Christ was so patient with his disciples? I mean, those 12 disciples, they had a lot of problems. They argued with the Lord Jesus Christ. They argued among themselves. And even James and James and John, even his mother, went up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, would you make sure that my son could be sitting next to you? And all the disciples bickered, and they, and they argued, and they had a lot of contention. Even Peter and John, they had a lot of problems. You know, the Bible says in John that John wrote in his own words that he outran Peter. Why? There was a competition here. I don't know what it is. I ran Peter to the tomb to see Jesus Christ. And maybe it was portraying that, you know, John was more anxious to see Jesus Christ alive. But, you know, there was that little uh, tension there. I think about even Peter. I mean, uh, he pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll not go to Jerusalem. And Jesus Christ had to rebuke him. He had to call him Satan. Get thee behind me. A lot of problems. He denied the Lord three times. And you know what the Bible says in the Great Commission? As the Great Commission was giving, the Bible says the disciples doubted his heart. About what? About the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this real? As they were doubting, doubting, the Bible says, Jesus says, Go ye out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When they were doubting in their heart, they weren't even really sure about ministry. They weren't even really sure about everything else. But Christ says, no, I want you to know my, my commandment is given and my grace is given. My chance is given. My opportunity for you is given. Go preach the gospel to all the world. And we see that wonderful, great Pentecost day. Even Peter took a hold of that. And then one day, 3,000 people got saved. And a few days later, 5,000 people got saved. And that Jerusalem kept on multiplying, multiplying. And then next thing you know, we see Philip going down to Samaria. And next thing you know, we see a, a, a man of God named uh, Saul getting saved and becomes Paul. And then he gets groomed by Barnabas. And then we see Antioch church being found by the persecution of Saul before. And that church sends out a mission, uh, a mission, uh, a team with Barnabas and, and also Paul and also at the same time we see uh, uh, John Mark there and they spread the gospel and, uh, and the Apostle Paul went to another second journey, another third journey and the gospel was spread by the, uh, by the uh, power of the Holy Ghost by some men who were not perfect but men who knew the grace and the love of God. I'm just simply telling you, I think we need to give more chances to those people. I'm not saying that you need to give them some positions or maybe leadership. I'm just simply saying they need to get, get some chance to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and see the grace of God at work in his life or in her life. 
May we follow love in our church. It might take some time. It might take some time to have somebody to be changed. I understand that. But as long as you're changing and going in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's good enough. You don't have to have the standard so high because you're so, so, you're so pharisaical. You're such a lawyer. And you're so abounding already. But may we see people in their level. And may we help them and love them as Christ loved us. And by the way, nobody is less important here in this church. You know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 is very clear. There should be no schism in the body. The body, the body, the body members that seem a little bit more less insignificant, hey, it needs to be there. It needs to be there, the Bible says. And you know what the Bible says later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? He talks about what? About charity, love. Probably loving the weaker brother. The weaker body member of the, Lord, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the body does not function unless we start loving each other. The body does not function unless we start building relationship with each other. We start giving chances to each other, opportunity to each other, and grace to each other. That's the same thing with marriage. I guarantee you, your marriage will never abound as much as you should be or much as you want it to be. Unless you have grace. Unless you have grace. And your wives are frustrated with your husband. And, oh, there's such a, you know, uh, he's such a bad leader in the home. And, uh, you know, uh, he's not doing what he should, should, uh, he should be doing. But the Bible says that ladies are to be subject unto her own husband. How do you do that? By giving him grace. He might make mistakes, but you give him grace. And, uh, you're a, and, you're a, and you're a husband, you're thinking, oh, my wives can't do that, my wives can't do that, you keep a list, and, and uh, you know, I could do it better, but she, you know, uh, she's not really there, and, and you always criticize what she's doing, you criticize her cooking, you criticize her dishwashing, and you criticize everything. But the Bible says we ought to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Notice that. Even though you see the flaws of your wives, you still give grace. Your marriage cannot grow unless you have grace and the love of Christ. Do you have that today? And I'm not explaining by experience, but I'm explaining by the word of God this morning. I know I'm young. I know I'm still going through uh, my marriage and family life, and I'm sure... All of you could teach me of what you went through and how you went through it. But let us all agree on one thing. The Bible does say that we need to grow in the love of Christ. We need to abound in the love of Christ and the grace of Christ. And if you're not saved this morning, you're not for sure about going to heaven, and you're not for sure about Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, may I just present to you that he's not going to judge you he is not going to condemn you, but he approaches you with the love that he had on Calvary. He loves you. You might say, I've done, I've done some terrible things. It's okay. Even that thief on the cross 
as he was drawing his last breath, Jesus Christ displayed his love to him. And then he got saved. His sins were forgiven, and that he is in heaven, and I'd like to talk to him someday. And ladies and gentlemen, you could have that same story today. And if you're not saved this morning, you're not for sure about going to heaven. I believe with all my heart, God wants to secure that this morning. God wants to secure that with his love that could always be found. And his love that never gets fatigued or weak. And his love that could be bought. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father.